he was going to complain about us. I mean, he'd have a rap sheet of complaints, you know, but he doesn't. He loves us and he's gracious. And the problem when you have a complaining spirit is that no matter what the details are, you're going to find a reason to complain. And so the issue is not the circumstances. The issue is not what you're complaining about. The issue is in the human heart, in your heart and in my heart. And God wants to do heart surgery. It's happened to everyone. You walk into a room to get something and you can't remember what it is. At some point along the way, you get distracted from your goal. Today, Pastor Daniel urges you to fight against distractions like complaining, steal your joy, and derail what God is trying to do. You'll learn that complaining is a matter of the heart. As God changes your heart, you'll better remember who God is and His vision for your life. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Numbers chapter 21 as he begins his message, Destruction and Forgiveness. All right, let's open up those Bibles to the book of Numbers chapter 21. Numbers chapter 21 as we're continuing our study through the book of Numbers the book of Numbers, it's the fourth book in your Bible. We're going to go through, Lord willing, an entire chapter tonight. And so, fourth book in your Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and then the book of Numbers. We're in chapter 21, which, as I like to say, sits conveniently between chapter 20 and chapter 22. We've called this series Wilderness because the children of Israel are literally in the wilderness. They've left Egypt, at this point where we are, 39 years earlier. So 39 years ago, as we're jumping into the story, they had been delivered from Egypt and they'd been wandering around the wilderness. They weren't wandering around because God didn't know where they were going. They were wandering around because they didn't trust God. What should have been a very short journey ended up taking a lifetime, all because the children of Israel struggled to believe in the God of the all possible. Now, that's a pretty profound statement, and it's a pretty big reality for a lot of us, isn't it? Because for many of us, we look at our lives and like, I've been wandering for a long time, not because God doesn't know where I'm going, but because I don't believe that he's the God of the all possible. Where God will say, I want you to take this step, and we're like, yeah, uh, no. And that's exactly what the children of Israel have done. God said, look, I want you to go into this promised land. And they were like, no, no, we can't do it. And they were looking at their lives and their situation through the lens of their natural abilities, which, sure, they couldn't do it. But they forgot to take into account the main factor, which is that God is the God of the all possible. And it's so common for you and I, as followers of Jesus, to look at things through the lens of the natural. It doesn't matter how long you've been walking with Jesus either. It's so easy to be like, oh, well, it's never going to work. I love when people, that's my favorite thing when people say it'll never happen. I love that because then I know we're outside the realm of what people can do and then we're in the realm of what God can do and that's the realm we want to live in. So if you're looking at a situation like it's not possible, yeah, 
With men, it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And we believe in the God of the all possible. And we live our lives with the hope of a God of the all possible. But if you notice, we have a really dramatic and devastating title called Destruction and Forgiveness. Because what you have in Numbers 21 is God wants to do something extraordinary, but there are a lot of distractions. And brothers and sisters, distractions will absolutely choke the life out of you spiritually. It will absolutely strangle God's plans in your life. And the children of Israel are dealing with that. They are distracted by very real distractions. It's not like they're just off. No, there's some substance to the distraction. And I'm so reminded of that. How often what God is doing in my life gets obscured by distractions. And those distractions in our lives are loud, aren't they? We're going to see for the children of Israel those distractions are going to be armies coming against them. And it's a distraction, a legitimate, in-your-face, trying to stop what God is doing. And then they're dealing with their own complaining and grumbling side, and that is the problem. But I really want to encourage you today, if you don't get anything else from what I'm going to say, you need to put distractions aside and get your eyes on Jesus. Because the distractions will choke the joy out of your life. It will literally ruin what God is trying to have you experience by his grace. And I'm sure for a lot of you right now, you're like, amen, pastor. If we shut the Bible right now and he didn't even give us a verse yet, that's good. But praise God, if I get the good stuff up front, then hopefully if I begin well and I end well, the middle will just be whatever it'll be, amen? So let's jump on in. Numbers chapter 21, verse one. The king of Arad, the Canaanite who dwelt in the south, heard that Israel was coming on the road to Athraim. Then he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoners. So Israel made a vow to the Lord and said, if you will indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. And the Lord listened to the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites and they utterly destroyed them in their cities. So the name of that place was called Hormah. Now, that word horma literally in the Hebrew means utter destruction, which is where I get the first part of my message title, destruction from. Now, notice what's going on here. The children of Israel have been traveling through the wilderness for 39 years. And so really right now, this last section in the book of Numbers gets them right on the border of the promised land. The entire book of Deuteronomy only takes place in a short amount of time. And it's a whole retelling of the law. Almost everything we've seen with some amplification from Exodus and Leviticus and the laws of Numbers gets reiterated in the book of Deuteronomy. But that takes place over almost no time. So we're on the, in a sense... We're on the border of the book of Joshua where they're going to go into the promised land. So as they're traveling to right before the Jordan River, as they're going to go into the promised land, we find out that the king of Arad, the Canaanite, he dwelt in the south. He heard Israel was coming, and then he preemptively went to war against them. So much so, it says that he took prisoners of them. So this Canaanite king of Arad came out in opposition to the children of Israel. Now, one of the ways that you and I struggle with distraction is by overt opposition to what God is doing. And listen, 
The attacks against what God is trying to do in your life and through your life is going to come either from the outside or the inside. Sometimes it's things that we do that precipitate the distraction, and sometimes someone's just on the offensive. And it's just part of life. You know what I mean? It's like if you're serving the Lord, and what's interesting is distractions happen even if you're not serving the Lord. You have to realize that too. So no matter what, distractions happen. But for the children of Israel, God is bringing them into the promised land. And nothing can stop that, but yet there is overt opposition to what God is doing. I have a thing that I like to say to people all the time. I'm like, look, if everything is easy, you're probably not doing God's will. Because sometimes if you're seeking to step out in faith in the things that God called you to, there's going to be people who just don't like it. Now, the key is if they don't like it because what you're doing is sinful and wrong, then we want to learn from that and not do something sinful and wrong. But oftentimes, people just don't like when God wants to do something new. And oftentimes, people don't like when God wants to do something new in your life because people like you the way you used to be. They became friends with you the way that you used to be. And I've said it many times. When someone says to you, you've changed, what it means is you're not giving me what I want from you really has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with the way that they use you and what they want from you. So when someone says, you've changed, you've gotten really into this Jesus thing, you know, like, that's a good change, amen? Like, you like yourself better in Jesus than you did outside of Jesus. So don't be upset by overt, offensive opposition to the things. See, the children of Israel are not taking this land. God hasn't promised them this land, but the Canaanite king comes out in opposition to them and literally goes to war against them and takes people prisoners. And notice what it says. So Israel made a vow to the Lord and said, if you will indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. What they're saying is, Lord, if you will give us victory, we're not even going to take the spoils of war. We're just going to destroy it all. We're not going to say, this is our spoils. We're just going to destroy it all. And it says that the Lord listened to their voice and delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them in their cities. So they called the name of that place Horma, which literally means utter destruction. Now, they're not even supposed to be fighting battles on this side of the Jordan, but they're happening. Now, look at what happens next. Verse 4. Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And the people, verse 5, spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. And we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And it shall be that everyone who is bitten when he looks at it shall live. And Moses made a bronze serpent, put it on a pole. And so it was, if a serpent was bitten by anyone, when it looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Now, This is interesting, but we've seen a lot of this. They're traveling. They're not going through Edom, because remember they had said previously that they weren't going to go through Edom, and the Edomites who were their next of kin, because the Edomites were the descendants of Esau, 
They decided to go around it. But what you have is the people are speaking against God and against Moses. So the people are they're discouraged and they're complaining, right? Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no wander, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. Now, it's amazing how often the children of Israel complain in the Bible. And isn't it amazing how often we complain? Stop complaining, people. The Bible says do all things without grumbling and complaining. So I grumble today too. So I need Jesus just as much as you guys do. But the reason it's over and over again in the Bible is because it's so easy to be a grumpy, complaining person. They're bummed at God for delivering them from the slavery of Egypt. And they're bummed at God for feeding them miraculously with bread. Our soul loathes this worthless bread. Like, God, your miraculous feeding of us in the wilderness, that stinks, God. And you know what it is? It's a heart that is bent on grumbling and complaining will never be satisfied. Because it's, listen, I've gotten an education in grumbling and complaining here at Crossroads over the last about eight weeks. There's been a lot of it. And what I've realized is this. It has nothing to do with the circumstances. Somebody grumbles and complains because their heart is grumbling and complaining. And you can change the circumstances. They're still going to grumble and complain. Don't be a complainer. You know why? Because God doesn't complain. Can you imagine if Jesus decided he was going to complain about us? I mean, he'd have a rap sheet of complaints, you know, but he doesn't. He loves us and he's gracious. And the problem when you have a complaining spirit is that no matter what the details are, you're going to find a reason to complain. And so the issue is not the circumstances. The issue is not what you're complaining about. The issue is in the human heart, in your heart and in my heart. And God wants to do heart surgery. So if you found yourself grumbling and complaining today, then you got to voice out what God wants to change in your own heart. Praise God. It reached the surface. You know it's in there. So right now, just say, God, you know I'm a complainer. You know I'm a grumbler. You know I'm a griper. You know I'm good old-fashioned grumpy. And you know what, God? Forgive me and change my heart. Don't be a complainer. Because when you complain, what you're saying is, God, you're not doing a good enough job. This has nothing to do with Moses. Did Moses deliver him from Egypt? No, God did. Moses just happened to be the messenger. Moses had nothing going for him. God wanted his people to leave Egypt, and anybody would do, and Moses got the gig, because he was the one guy who had nothing else to do. He was tending to his father-in-law's sheep in the Midian wilderness. He had nothing good going on. So God's like, yeah, that guy looks like a prime candidate. See, complaining gives the wrong witness of who the Lord is. Now listen, some of you feel justified in complaining because of your years walking with Jesus. It's like, I've been walking with Jesus so long, I'm justified in complaining. No, you know way better than everybody else. So stop complaining. And listen, if somebody complains to you, just look at them and say, listen, God ain't a complainer, so why are you? Just lovingly confront each other. Because I think what happens is, is, you know what happens when someone starts complaining, right? Everyone gets grumpy. It's like a virus. It runs so fast. It's like that crunk that's going around, right? It's like your kid comes home with it from school and the whole family gets it. You pass it around for three months. Complaining is a virus. And all it takes is one person. Like, oh, and then before everyone's like, what are you all complaining about? I don't know. You know? 
It's not spiritual in any way. Like, even if you're complaining about something that's an important thing to change, complaining about it is the absolute wrong way to go about it. And over and over again, in the book of Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, we see the children of Israel complaining, and something bad happens to them. And praise God that God is not sending fiery serpents to kill us when we complain right now. Can you imagine if God dealt with our complaining the way he did with the children of Israel right here? None of us would have made it through today. You all would have been dead in the grocery store today. I would have been dead driving down the highway today. So praise God that God is long-suffering with my complaining and your complaining. But you have to remember that Jesus died because we're complainers. So I was reminded again, stop being a complainer. Stop. Don't complain. If you catch yourself complaining, then grab your mouth and keep it shut. Don't complain. I mean, it's just amazing. And like, I joke about it because I know that we all do it, right? We have infinite reasons to complain about everything. There's never not a reason to be upset about something. There's always something. I mean, so we just need to stop. Why? Because our words should be full of grace, seasoned with salt. Our words should build up instead of tear down. See, God created words to be creative, and when we utilize them to undercut and tear down, we actually misuse the very reason God gave us language. Look at the creation account where God speaks and things come into existence, and God says, it's good. Oh, it's really good. See, our words are designed to be things that build people up. And when we use words that God intended to strengthen and build up, when we use them to tear down and to diminish, we are leaning into the life of the flesh, which Jesus died and rose again to forgive us of. So do righteous battle against complaining. Jesus could say, remember when he said, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. And if your hand causes you to sin, Chop it off. Well, if your mouth causes you to complain, pop out those vocal cords by extension. And Jesus isn't saying cut your hands off. He's saying deal ruthlessly with the issues in your heart. Don't play around with them. John Owen, the great Puritan writer and preacher said, you're either killing sin or what? Sin is killing you. And Jesus died and rose again so that our sin wouldn't kill us. So no more complaining, okay? We'll hold each other. If I start complaining, hold me accountable, okay? Just be like, hey, Fusco, stop. And if I catch you complaining, I'll be like, stop it. Don't do it. But they're complaining. They're grumpy. And in verse 6, it says, The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. So a serpent would be a snake-like animal. A fiery one would be a fiery one. So it's descriptive language. And someone might say, well, where's the fiery serpents today? I don't ever want to meet one. I don't want to meet any sort of serpent anywhere. But I definitely, if I saw a fiery serpent, what are you going to do? You're going to run, right? I hope so, right? And so these serpents aren't just there as part of the scene. They're there to execute God's judgment on the complainers, Right? And people are literally getting bit by these serpents and they're dying. And then look what happens in verse 7. Once people start dropping dead, the people came to Moses. We have sinned for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. 
pray to the Lord, verse 7, that he may take away the serpents from us. Now, that's the downside of God's patience, isn't it? Because when we see the ramifications of our sin in real time, you realize right away, this is sin. But when God delays in his patience judgment for our mistakes, we oftentimes take his inaction to be an acquiescence to what we're doing. And so you and I need to realize that the wages of sin is death. And just because God doesn't strike you dead right now for doing that thing, that's just God's sheer patience. But death is still the outcome of sin. That's what the Bible says, that the wages of sin is death. The reason Jesus died is because he took our death sentence on himself and he rose again because he knows that we can't take it on ourselves. But because they saw the immediate judgment of God because of their actions, they owned it. We sinned against God and we sinned against you, Moses. Will you pray for us? You know what I love about Moses? Moses doesn't say, you know, you guys have been complaining to me for 40 years. I ain't going to pray for you guys. Now, I know I bring that up because some of you, if someone came to you and said, will you pray for me? I've sinned against you. You'd say, heck no. I know you're not supposed to think that way when you're a Christian, but there's some people, like, if they came and said, oh, man, I've done you so dirty. I've been so wrong by you. Will you pray for me? Yeah, right. No way. You can die. And that's the wrong heart. Because if someone comes and says, look, I have totally wronged you, and I've wronged God in my actions. Will you pray for me? You know what you should do? Stop and pray for him right there. Because we know what it's like to wrong people. If we're honest, we know what it's like to wrong God in our actions. And Moses, even though Moses has gotten a headache from the children of Israel for 40 years, even though because of his frustration with their complaining just last chapter, Moses isn't going to go into the promised land, he still stops and he prays for the people. What a beautiful picture of God's forgiveness from Moses. He doesn't say, yeah, you guys deserve that. He says, I'll pray. And he prays for them. And notice what the Lord says to Moses in verse 8. He says, The Lord said, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. And Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. And so it was that if the serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Now, what a crazy thing, right? So God says, look, I want you to take one of those fiery serpents. I want you to put it up on a pole. And if anyone's been bit, if they look at it, they're going to be made well. Now, you might say to yourself, well, what kind of a solution to the problem is that? Guess what? That's the solution that the great physician designed. Jesus is real. We're so glad you joined us today as Pastor Daniel brought up the issue of complaining. He explained that when you complain, you're telling God that what he's doing isn't good enough. Pastor Daniel encouraged you to deal ruthlessly with this heart-damaging issue by asking God to help you and inviting others to keep you accountable. You were reminded that God created language as a tool to encourage and build each other up. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel Fusco here to tell you about my book, Upward, Inward, and Outward. You've heard me talk about these three directions for living again and again on Jesus is Real Radio, and I think they're so important. I wanted to write a book to explain even more. Upward, Inward, and Outward teaches you the importance of developing a right relationship with God 
and how that teaches you to love yourself well, from those two healthy relationships can spring a well of love for people around you. And that's what transforms our world. Find out more and get your own copy at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Next time on Jesus Is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will continue walking through the Israelites' time in the desert. You'll learn that Moses once again intercedes for the children of Israel after God sends snakes as a consequence for their complaining. You'll see how God's instructions to look at the serpent on the pole to be healed foreshadows your healing through Christ's sacrifice on the cross. You've been listening to Jesus Is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through this series called Wilderness. Till then, may God bless.